Lloyd, as we come to gather in your name, uh, Lord, in this place and at home, around our computers, uh, Lord, we come before you this, the, the Lord's Day, and uh, we have enjoyed already, we have got to pray to you, and uh, Lord, kind of lay out those things that are in our life and in our heart that are troubling us, uh, praying for the needs of others, uh, the healings that uh, we desire to take place in other people's lives, in our life. And uh, now, uh, Lord, as we open up our word, uh, Lord, we invite you, uh, just as we, again, just enjoyed singing to you, now we enjoy hearing from you as you speak to us. And that same joy that we have, Lord, and we sing to you, may we have that same joy, Lord, as you speak to us. And so we ask today that you give us eyes that can see and ears that can hear, what the Holy Spirit has for us today. And above everything, Lord, today, our, our prayer and our desire is that you'd be glorified in your church, Lord, and not just your church collectively, but individually. Be glorified in our lives, Lord. Be glorified in my life today, we pray in Jesus' name. And, and again, I titled this morning's message, Your Last Day on Earth, and it's in that same vein, just continuing forward, thinking about you know the end times and the last days. And, uh, you know, and, the, and the, really for good reason, you know, you think about First uh, Peter, you know, is causing us to kind of sit up and take notice of the, these end times or last days or thinking about, you know, the time in your life. And I always think of that, those expressions, you know, about tomorrow. There's one that always comes to mind that tomorrow is the devil's favorite word. And I think we understand that, you know we can so easily procrastinate, which leads me to another adage that says, why do tomorrow, what, today, what you can put off tomorrow, amen? And uh, people, you know, will do that. They, ah, I just don't feel like doing it today. And uh, that's really not a healthy way to live because we don't have a guarantee or a promise of tomorrow. And, uh, you know, again, we start to be very presumptuous. Uh, and the reason why, and it's understandable, it's human nature, is because, Today is yesterday's tomorrow, right? And, and we've had enough of those in our life that we just kind of start to take it for granted and just think that, hey, well, there'll just be another day. But ultimately, there's not going to be another day. There will be the last day of our life. And, and today, I want you to kind of think about that, you know, the last day of your life. Because remember, Peter was writing to a church that was suffering tremendous persecution, and many were dying martyrs' deaths. They were suffering to the point of death. And uh, again, so, so important that uh, we consider our own lives. You know, again, we're not suffering persecution to that degree or martyrdom so much here in the United States. But uh, like the song that uh, I shared with you last week, you know, uh, by Kenny Chesney, um, it contained the lyrics, 100 years comes faster than you think, so don't blink. And boy, it was so true. And so, like I said, Peter continues on this week. And there's really a word, if you're a note taker, you might write this down. Um, it's It's... It comes through again and again in these just these few passages in chapter four, verses seven through eleven here, and it's the word fervent, and uh, we'll we'll talk about that today. Look there with me in verse seven of chapter four. It says, "But the end of all things is at hand." It says, "Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers, and above all things, have what fervent love for one another." Now, if I hit this, let me see if I. Again, and, and in this, you know, again, you look at that, that word fervent there, and we really want to focus in on that today. It says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do so with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, it's interesting, right at the very beginning, what does it say there? It says, it says but the end of all things is at hand. You, you, you read this you know, and you go, the end of all things is at hand. You go, when did Peter write this? It's like over 2,000 years ago, right? So, you know, you read that and you can see why a lot of people, non-believers in particular, will read this thing. Ah, see, 
you know, that's why I don't believe the Bible. I mean, here's all these guys saying, you know, it's the last time, last days, end times, and Jesus hasn't come back. So, man, if he hasn't done it for 2,000 years, guess what? He's probably not coming back at all. It kind of reminds you, have you ever been driving in your car and you've seen someone standing on a street corner with a sign that says the end is near? And you just kind of go, oh, man, it's like, what's the message, you know, that that's sending? And you go, but it's true. You know, it reminds me, you know, when I think of a sign like that, of uh, it was a joke about uh, another sign. It was two old fishermen, uh, Fred and Luke. They were fishing one day on, on this river that ran alongside a main road in their, in their town. And uh, it began to rain and it caused a, a flash flood. And uh, they made a sign. Uh, they had some cardboard in their truck and they made a sign that says, the end is near. Turn yourself around before it's too late. And they had an umbrella and they were standing out there in the, in the street and they were, they were showing that sign and people would come by and, you know, they would give them half the peace sign and some, you know, actually rolled their windows down and, you know, told them to go to H-E double hockey stick, you know, and, and they were just faithful, you know, and they, they stood there and, and, uh, and suddenly, you know, as the last car, you know, that made uh, a comment went off, they heard a splash and Fred kind of looks at, at Luke and he says, uh, do you think we should have just made a sign that says the bridge is out? <laughs> and, and it's kind of true. You know, we, we want to be clear, you know, in what we're saying. And, and, and Peter here, again, Peter is uh, uh, making not a prediction. He's stating a fact because he's writing what? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This isn't just Peter going, you know, I, I just believe it's the end times. He has been moved by the Holy Spirit to pin the very words of God. You know, Romans chapter 13, verse 11, Paul would write this. He says, this is all the more urgent for you to know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now, I just read that from the NLT translation there. And uh, I love, you know, I love that, the expression there, that it's all the more urgent when you know how late it is. Time is running out. So wake up. For our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And, and again, not to mention the fact that the Bible, like I said, is infallible. So when it says the end is near, what does it mean? The end is near. Second Peter 3.8 says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, what does it tell us there? One day, one day is what? A thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Okay, God obviously has a different timetable than you and I. So when Peter says it's the end of all things, it wasn't, like I said, just wishful thinking on his part. You know, so biblically speaking, when you think about, you know, end times or last days, that's a phrase that's used in the New Testament here. And it, it's to express the time between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. And like I said, it's been 2,000 years. And all the prophecies of Scripture that must take place before the rapture of the church, they have been completed. So you go, all that's left is what? Is Jesus coming for his bride? Now, Scripture tells us, but no man knows the hour at which the Son of Man will return. But we know that the days that we're living in are the last days. Now think about this. If the last days that Peter was living in are, as in his definition and terminology, were last days, and it's been 2,000 years since Peter said that, would you say that we're living in the latter last days? Is it or more latter than what Peter was living? I go, yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say it's 2,000 years later. And if he was saying that, hey, I'm living in the last days, we can say we're living in the latter last days, or I would say closer to the end, or the end is nearer. You know, again, now, Understand this. Don't mistake this. And I think this is where a lot of people make mistakes. They'll read that in verse 8 there, and they'll say, the end is here. Is that what it's saying? No. It says what? The end is near. So when you read prophecy, you're seeing that. Remember, in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew you know, 24 and 25, what is Jesus saying? He's telling us these are birth pangs, right? He said, it's not the end. He said, but it's birth pangs. It's the end is coming. The end is near, but it's not yet. But these things are going to happen. And when you think about, you know, a birth pang, what is it? That there's going to be a closer as the birth gets 
uh, closer to, you know, to what I want to say to the birth, you know, of the baby, not the conception of the baby, that'd be in reverse, but the delivery of the baby, those, those contractions get closer and closer and closer and closer. And that's what scripture tells us. So to be watchful of these things, when you see them is not to become fearful, but to look up for your redemption draweth nigh. It, we're nearer, it's closer. And so the real question for you and me today, if we're living in, in these last days and we get it, is how should we be living? Now, that's really a great question to ask ourselves. And that's what Peter, in verses 7 11, he, he points out. There's three things. If you're a note taker, I really want to encourage you to write these down, mark them. Like I said, if you're just a, a memory person, lock in on them today. You know, three things that should mark the life of every single person who recognizes, and that's really the key, you know, as I was just praying, as we started the service, God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Because you know what? There's many in the church today that they're here, but they don't see. There's many here today, but they don't hear. And you go, why? Because we're not looking and we're not listening. We're not asking God to give us sight. We're just going by, ah, you know, God's given us common sense. And I've said this many times, you know, common sense isn't as common as people make it out to be, you know, and you can look into that however you want. But uh, here in, in, in verses 7 through 11, like I said, as Peter, you know, brings this word out, it's really the word fervent that, that describes how we should be living. And, and again, Peter spells out very, three very specific areas of our life. If you recognize today that you're living, and think about this, it's the last day of your life, you're, you know, it's the, the end is near, what would you do? What would be different? What would mark your life? You know, what would your legacy be? And Peter says this, we would want to be, we would need to be, you could say fervent in prayer. We're going to see that here. Fervent in love and then fervent in service. Let me say that again. Fervent in prayer, fervent in love, fervent in service. Look there in verse seven. It says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in what? Your prayers. I, I think Peter is looking back over his own life as you and I would. Here's Peter believing that the end is near, and he's looking back over his life. And I think he can go back to the night of, the, of Jesus' betrayal there in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was right after the Last Supper, remember? They went through the Kidron Valley there, and they went across, and they went up to uh, the Mount of Olives right there at the base, and they're there at the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says to the disciples, he says, you know, I'm troubled. My spirit's troubled within me. He said, he's gonna, he says, be watchful and pray. And he tells them, you know, to pray for him, right? This is, and Jesus went not very far away. And it says, and he fell down, and he began to pray. And then he, when he got done praying, he came back. And what were the disciples doing? They were sleeping. And he said, you know, can you not watch with me for even an hour? And you think about prayer. You know, it's been said, you know, Barna Research Institute, you can look this up for yourself, is that the average Christian, Christian prays no more than 45 seconds a day. And that's pretty sad. And yet you find that if you look at all the statistics with regard to prayer that, you know, Barna puts out there, you know who prays the most? The elderly, the poor, and people who are ill. And so you think about that. The elderly, the poor, and those who are ill. It's interesting how kind of the last days, you know, ways into that, not knowing, you know, if, hey, if I have enough food to get me through tomorrow, or, you know, I'm older, and I don't have too many tomorrows left, or, you know, I'm not healthy, regardless of my age. And so you go, hmm, am I ready to meet my maker? And so here's Jesus telling Peter, you know, can't you pray for even an hour? And I think that echoed throughout the rest of Peter's life about the fervency, the, the desire to be fervent in prayer. Let me ask you this today. I don't normally do this on a, on a hard question, but if today, if you knew today was the last day of your life, do you believe by a show of hands that your prayer life would be more fervent the last 24 hours of your life? If you knew that today was going to be the last day of your life, do you believe that your prayers would be more fervent today? If you believe that, raise your hand. Yeah. And I think we all do. And then you go, and now it's voila, 
Why do you think Peter is saying what he's saying? Because regardless of who we are, he understands human nature. Again, the, again, this is the Holy Spirit working through Peter. Is when you and I understand the times in which we live and we believe that this is the end, it would cause us, just we just did a little survey that we took right here in our sanctuary. We all agree we've become more fervent in our prayer. And that's exactly what Peter wants us to be mindful of. Not, not in a fake way, but in reality, to know that, you know, a thousand years is unto a day, a day is unto a thousand years. I mean, if you've ever lost a loved one and you think back over the course of someone's life, you don't remember years, do you? You remember moments. If you, if you took the memories of someone that you love who's no longer with you, you can't think of years. You just think of moments. Life is a vapor and it goes by quick, you know, as we shared last week. A hundred years goes by quicker than you think. Don't blink. And so Peter is saying this, again, reminding us. Thomas Watson once said, a godly man is a praying man. As soon as grace is poured in, prayer is poured out. Prayer is the soul's traffic with heaven. It says God comes down to us by his spirit and we go up to him by prayer. I love that. D.L. Moody, a great evangelist, he said this, Every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure, prayer, and the power of it. I wanted to share something that was so neat yesterday, and these are those things that happen in life. I mean, I wish, you know, we all have regrets, and, you know, it's, it's sad, you know, and as believers, people, oh, we don't have any regrets, you know, because, yeah, we have regrets. It's okay. That's why we have forgiveness, amen? That's why we have grace, and that's why we have mercy, okay? But we'll, we're going to have regrets. I have a regret with regard to prayer is I know that uh, I don't pray anywhere close to what I should and what I could and what I need to pray, okay? So I don't stand here today pointing a finger at you. I recognize that in my own life, the, the, the insufficiencies there. And yesterday, my wife and I, she had got a, a cute uh, uh, little pen from somebody that was on Pinterest. And it was uh, a message. Uh, no, it was Instagram. I'm sorry. Uh, and... Uh, and it was a pin that somebody had uh, showed on their chalkboard at their home, and they sent it to Drew Brees. And some of you might have seen it. And it was a little prayer. It said, our prayers or our family prayers. And it was on a chalkboard at their house. And it said, uh, one of the children had got on there, and which they were supposed to. They wrote out their prayers on this chalkboard. It had to be you know, a child somewhere between probably four and seven years old. And they just wrote, praying for Mr. Brees. And so they sent that to Drew Brees to encourage him. He's got a rib injury, and he's, he's healing from that. And I, I had this thought. Uh, my wife, for the last couple of weeks, uh, I had ordered some of these um, construction paper. Uh, they were rollers, and you could do notes on them. And you mount it on the wall, and you can pull this thing down with but it's butcher paper. And then it has a little piece at the bottom, so you can tear it off. And so I ordered some uh, for the coffee shop. And the company sent me uh, an extra one uh, by mistake. And so I got this thing. They didn't want it back. They don't, they don't take refunds. And so uh, I took it home and I gave it to my wife. And she couldn't figure out a place to put it. And so she looks in our kitchen finally and she goes, I think I'll put it on this wall. And I said, okay. So we put it there last night. And I said, honey, you know what you should do with this thing? And she goes, what? And I said, you should make it our prayers. Like when the kids come over, have them write their prayers down on them and we'll just keep it. And I go, you can put it in a book. And I'm thinking about this and I'm going, man, I didn't do that with my own kids, you know, so I can do it with my grandkids. I guess that's what grandkids are. They're the second chance, God's, you know, grace in your life that, you know, what you messed up with your own kids, you can make right with your grandkids. But, but I love that. And I want to share that with you because I want to encourage you, you know, as parents, and it doesn't matter, you know, if your kids can be full grown, it doesn't make any difference. That might even be the best. And they just come for the holidays. Thanksgiving's coming up, you know, but whether it's a chalkboard or like this, you know, it's butcher paper or construction paper, you know, and, and it's there. On, and so when they come over, you know, my wife will begin to ask our grandkids, hey, is, is there something that you can pray about? And then she'll have them write it down there and then we'll keep it and be able to look back over the years in your life that what are you doing is becoming more fervent in prayer, you know, not, not stopping to pray for things. And so my wife and she had a long list, you know, it was, Pray for our family, you know, for our children. Pray for my brother-in-law, Tim, who I've asked you to pray for, who's struggling with cancer and uh, need of healing. You know, just, uh, you know, Thanksgiving time and those that are just hurting over the holidays. 
that have lost loved ones. We have friends, uh, Gigi yesterday, uh, had her oldest sister went home to be with the Lord and it's just part of life, but you go, but it still hurts. And especially when it's around holidays, you know, and things like that. And so to be fervent in prayer for one another, Stephen Covey, you, know, you some of you maybe have heard of him. He was the time management guru years ago. He wrote a book and I really appreciated this book. It was the seven habits of highly effective people. And uh, believe it or not, the, the Apostle Peter was mentioned in this book, not by name, but really it kind of lines up really well with uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 here, especially his, his words there in verse 7, because it makes up the, really the first three principles of the book. In the book, the, uh, the seven habits, the, the first three were this. One was be proactive. So I want you to think about what Peter's saying, be fervent, right? Be fervent, be fervent. Well, Stephen Covey's going, hey, the seven habits of highly effective people. Here's number one, be proactive, be fervent, right? Number, habit number two, and this is really what I think Peter had in mind as he shares. He says, habit number two, Stephen Covey writes, begin with the end in mind. Man, that is such a powerful principle to live your life by, is to begin with the end in mind. Think about any project you do is to stop and to look at the end and then work backwards from there. And like I said, one of the things that's helped me in my own life is it's easier to say no to things then because you have what? A bigger yes. And, and it's so true. And then number three, put first things first. Put first things first. And so again, if today was your last day, and this was the last day of your life, how would you live it? You know, Tim McGraw, you know, this is two weeks, and I, again, I very seldom even anymore. I mean, I used to listen to country music a long time ago, um, but there's, the songs are still in my head. And, and I have one of these things. Is there anybody else in here that when you hear something, a song comes to your mind, you associate it? It could be a worship song, could be something. Well, as I was studying through this and thinking about time and thinking about death and thinking about your last day, this song that Tim McGraw sang years ago came to my mind. Most of you probably have heard it. It was titled, Live Like You Were Dying, right? And, and, and he, you know, if you know, his father passed away from cancer. And he's really writing a song talking about this, this, the discussion that he had with his dad. And he wrote, he said, he said, I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me. And a moment came that stopped me on a dime. What is it? What happened in his life? He realized what? The end is near. He realized, hey, this could be the last day of my life. And then he says, I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays, talking about the options, talking about sweet time. I asked him, when did it sink in that this might really be the end? How's it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what would you do? And he said the most stupidest thing that any human being could say in that moment. He said, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. But then he said something that was worthwhile. He says, then I loved deeper and I spoke sweeter and I gave forgiveness that I'd been denying. And he said, someday, I hope you get the chance to live like you're dying. And it's so true because if you knew today was your last day, I doubt very seriously you would try to go out and go skydiving and try to cram in as many. No, what you would do is you'd get around the people that you love the most. And you'd spend as much time with them, making sure that they understood how much you love them, how much you appreciate them, and the difference that they made in your life. And that's what Peter is getting to here. That, that's what's so important about what should take place in, in our lives. And so in the song, he goes on, he says, he said, I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't. I became a friend that a friend would like to have. And all of a sudden going fishing wasn't such an imposition. And I went three times that year I lost my dad. I finally read the good book and I took a good long hard look and what I'd do if I could do it all over again. And then he goes back to the chorus and he goes skydiving again. So not great theology, but I think you, you understand the point here that there's something that happens when we recognize that we're living in the last days. There's something that happens when we realize that we just don't have much time left. And it's the word fervent. We become more fervent. And Peter begins, like I said, number one in this list of three things, to become fervent in prayer. I wrote this quote in my notes. says, nothing will sustain you more than a solid prayer life. 
as Peter would say, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. You know, there's an old adage that was written by a Welsh Anglican named W.H. Griffith Thomas. He gave this admonition to pastors. I remember the first time I heard it, it was Alistair Begg who shared it and John MacArthur I've read uh, sharing the same quote, but uh, they're not the ones who originated it. Uh, Griffith Thomas did. And he said this, think yourself empty, read yourself full, write yourself clear. And this is the thing that was to me as a pastor. He said, pray yourself hot and then let yourself go. Fervency, passion, prayer. It's the basis for fervency. And maybe, you know, understanding this might be the, the last day of your life. It's really what will stoke the fire and cause us to become more serious and watchful about our prayer. Because I just asked you earlier, if you knew that today was your last day, would you become today more fervent in prayer? And we, 100% of us, agreed, yes, I would. And that's why Peter is saying not to try to make you think that this could be your last day. He's saying this could be your last day. And to live your life in light of it, because it'll change your life, because it will cause you to become a more fervent person. I know this firsthand. Like I said, in 2013, I had a, a stint put in my heart. And uh, at that point, I was thought I was in perfectly good shape. But I can tell you this, I sat and I thought about things. And I remember, and I shared this with you before. I mean, I, it wasn't a, a, an emotional breakdown or anything. It was a genuine appreciation. I sat in my back patio and I was looking out over my yard and I was looking at and all the plants and stuff. When we bought our house, it was just a dirt lot. And my wife, uh, with the help of a couple of kids here in, in our church, planted every single plant, every single tree that was in our backyard. And I was sitting there and I was looking out and I, and I was sad. And I wasn't, I wasn't sad with the thought that I was the possibility of I could die. I was sad about how I had been so ungrateful throughout the course of my life and how I hadn't thanked my wife for all that she had done in planting those flowers and those bushes and those trees, just something little. But that's what happens when, you know, you get to that place. And I remember telling her, she came home and she, I was sitting out there and she saw me. I was, I was crying and I said, I'm not... I'm not um, sad. I, I'm, I'm just grateful. And there was a tremendous peace. I, I don't even know how to really explain it to you, but I was totally at peace, but I just wanted to make sure that she understood, you know, if I never was able to tell her again that how much I appreciated those little tiny things that she had done for me. And so what did it do? Well, then I ended up having a stint put in and I'm still here. So then do I go back to my old self where I'm ungrateful? You know, and there's been slip ups in my life, but I can, I can tell you this in all honesty, you know, what was really one of the worst things that, that I thought I could go through from a health perspective that's changed my life in so many ways, uh, taking away things that I thoroughly enjoyed that I don't find pleasure anymore, but I find pleasure in things that, you know, I need to find pleasure. I find pleasure in my wife and my kids and my friends uh, and in my family, knowing that, you know, I don't have a promise of tomorrow. And I'm thankful for that. Is there moments where it gets to me? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I can be laying in bed at night and it'll be one o'clock in the morning and my heart goes, you know, and wakes me right up, right? And so I have to lay there and go, okay, is this, you know, I think it was at Sanford and Son, you know, or I'm having the big one. <laughs> you know, but to have, be at peace with the Lord that you go, it could be, you know, and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm okay. You know, verses eight, nine, again, just look at this, says, and above all things, have fervent love one for another, for love covers a multitude of sins. It says, be hospitable with one another without grumbling. So if the first point Peter was making is be fervent in love, the second, or excuse me, in fervent in prayer, the second he makes here is be fervent in love for one another. And again, why would Peter admonish us to be fervent in love? All you have to do is look around in these end times in which we live. You know, uh, I think Peter in his own heart and mind, you know, in my notes here, you know, Peter's own failure to be fervent in love. I know I had to play in his mind. Remember in Matthew 26, where Jesus told him, he said, you know, before a cock crows, you'll deny me what? Not once, not twice, but how many times? Three times. Yeah. And he does. And, and Peter realizes, you know, that he had a lapse in love, that he didn't have fervent love. 
And maybe, you know, you understand that about yourself today. And, and then secondly, you know, Jesus told us that one of the signs of the last days of the end times that we read about in Matthew 24, verse 12, he said, the love of many will wax cold. Are you seeing that like I am? I mean, all you have to do is turn on the news or read the newspaper. I mean, eventually you just turn it off, don't you? Because there is such a hatred in the world. And I'm not talking about just in the United States. This is global. If it was something that was just, you know, here in the United States, you don't have to really say that that's, you know, Scripture coming to fulfillment. Because, again, there's no prophecy that's given for private interpretation. It's not only for people who live in the United States. This is happening like COVID. It's on a global scale. I like another translation of Matthew 24, 12. The love of many will become cold and heartless. And then I think about what Jesus wrote or spoke in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2, you remember Jesus is speaking to the seven churches, actual churches, you know, that, that I love how many commentators will say that, yes, they were, those were actual churches in Asia Minor. But it also could be speaking of historically the church through the ages. And it's really kind of an interesting way to study that. Or it could represent also, you know, seven different types of believers, you know. And so, you know, as you look at this in Revelation 2, 1 through 4, here's Jesus speaking to the church at Ephesus, okay? And Ephesus, you know, you think about this, this is where Paul pastored and Timothy pastored. This is only, and think about this, this, this helps it sink in. This is only 40 years after Jesus had died and rose again from the dead. 40 years later, Jesus is writing this to the church at Ephesus. He says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these things, he says, who holds the seven stars in his hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience. Those are good things. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. This is a good church. He says, and you have tested those who say that they are apostles and have found them liars. And you have, had, you have persevered and have had patience. And you start going, yes, yes, Lord. And have labored, he said, for my name's sake, and have not become weary. He says, but nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left, left, not lost. As some would say, you can't lose your first love. You leave your first love. So what's Jesus telling the church there? The church had had a season of complacency. Have you ever become complacent in your life? Have you ever become complacent in your marriage relationship? Is it lost the, as Peter's talking about, be fervent? Has it lost the fervency? And Peter gives us three steps there in verse 5 of Revelation 2. He says, remember from where you've fallen, then repent, and then redo your first works. You know, you remember how it was when you first fell in love with the Lord, how you used to love to talk to God and pray. You'd pray almost about everything, right? Even the little things that we don't even think of anymore. You know, I have people that come to know Jesus and they're, Pastor Mike, you know, I'm just praying, Lord, what color shirt should I wear tomorrow? And that, that doesn't, I don't go, oh, you know, I appreciate that because I remember there was a day when I used to think like that. And I said, used to think like that. So I, I love that fervency. I love that passion, that, that intimacy that, that so desires to please God. And Peter's going, you know, we, we can recapture that. Jesus is telling us if you have left your first love, if you don't have that fervency, and only you can answer that question. If you lack that fervency, you, there's, you don't have to condemn yourself. The same way, you know, um, you know, you can fall back in love with your spouse. If you fell in love with them once, you can fall in love with them again. Amen. And the way you do it is what? Same thing. Remember from where you've fallen. Remember how it was when you first fell in love. What drew you together? And then repent. Tell God. Tell your spouse. Tell your kids. Tell your friends. Whoever it might be. You go, man, you know, I, God's changing my heart because I'm changing my mind. And then go and do what? The third thing is redo your first works again. You know, COVID-19, I can tell you this, has caused a lot of stress in a lot of people's lives to the point that it's broken many people. I mean, you don't even hear because the news media doesn't report it, the number of suicides in this country. It's an alarming rate in this country. I'd shared with you a couple of weeks ago that, you know, in the Afghanistan war, 
You know, we had more people die, soldiers die from suicide than we did from combat. And you think about what COVID has done to the lives of so many people. But there was something that was said early on. And I remember after the first, you know, 30 days, our shutdown that we had, uh, some, I either read it or someone had said it wasn't something that I just thought. Uh, but it, it was talking about that COVID was giving us an opportunity to hit the reset button in our life. Because for many people, they're just go, 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 right? And then all of a sudden, it was <laughs> stop, stay, 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 stay. And people were going, what do we do? And to be able to hit that reset button. And, and I thought about that a lot. And I thought with regard to my own marriage. I mean, I wasn't a question, do I love my wife? And am I in love with my wife? Yes. But I'll tell you what, COVID-19 didn't hurt our marriage at all. It gave us an opportunity to hit the reset button. It gave me an opportunity to, to think about why I fell in love with her to begin with. And because why? We had all this time to do what? Like we did when we first fell in love. What do you do? You know, and I'm, I'm working on a, on a book right now. One of the, it's, it's called Initiative. And uh, one of the, the chapters talks about, you know, uh, for, you know, both men and women, there's a part to men and, and you know, dating your wife and, and for wives to uh, be your husband's girlfriend. And, and because you have to think about this, you can lose sight of that. And John just looked at Emily and he said, you're my girlfriend. I know what he did. I know the man. I know exactly. Um, but, but uh, you know, that you go, to have that kind of relationship where you listen to each other. See, one of the things that caused me to fall in love with my wife was she listened. She listened intently. She wasn't too busy. And, and she... And the things that I would, I would tell her, she would then surprise me with things and, and go, you know, I think, well, what did, oh yeah, you told me that and, and vice versa. And you start, you go, well, what happened? You go, cause you were listening with the intent of, of doing something. It was important for you to, to know when that's the word gnosko. And that's the relationship that God wants us to have with him. He wants us to know him face to face. He wants us to know him intimately. But what happens in many marriages, it happened in mine. Maybe it's happened in yours. You just get busy. It doesn't mean that you don't love each other, but do you have that fervency? And so I, I understand what Peter's doing because I've been on that side of it too, where I didn't know if I was going to be there the next day. It's an interesting thing. I mean, it's very, it's, you know, humbling. It's very sobering when you're sitting in a hospital and you're filling out paperwork and I give the power of attorney to my wife for my life to make decisions for me because I'm going to be under an anesthesia. And if something happens, she has to make decisions. So I'm looking at so are we good? I mean, we good. I mean, are we really? Are we good? We need to. I need to know that right now because I need maybe call my sister Susan because uh, Susan I know will always have my back. So you know, she's like you know. So it was just one of those things Lee and I were laughing about. But it's that thing. I I trust my wife completely. I think of Proverbs thirty one ten. You know, and the heart of her husband safely trusts her, and she does him no harm. And you go that kind of love, fervent love. And yet, like I said, having all this time, you know, and it, it is interesting to me because when I think about what's happened, you know, and what's happening still during COVID for many relationships, it, it's not a blow up that happens. It's not this one thing. It's like I was, my wife and I went out for a bike ride for the first time in months yesterday. And I it was amazing pumping up the tire. Literally, I got to tell you, I was, this is how out of shape I am. I'm pumping the tire up. I'm tired by the time I got done pumping up four tires. It had been that long riding our bikes. So I'm out there. It was like, a, so what is it? It's called the slow leak. And that's what happens. It's not a blowout. It's a slow leak is how we end up shipwrecked. And that's why Peter's going, you, know, you need to be reminded. You need to know that you're living in the last days and you need to Stoke the fire and keep your love fervent. Look there in verse eight, you know, again, it says, and above all things have fervent love for one another for love covers a multitude of sin. You know, and I believe this with all my heart. I believe bigger than, you know, I mean, COVID. Most people would say, what's the greatest thing? I mean, it was the thing that drove the election, right? Biggest issue facing the world today is COVID-19. It's not what the Bible says. You know what the, the greatest issue facing the church, the greatest disease in the world today is lovelessness. There's people that, I mean, you look at the problem, we go, 
you know, we sing songs about what the world needs now is what? The vaccine, the vaccine. Imagine that. You go, what? There you go. Love, sweet love, right? It's the only thing that there's just too little of. You think about that. And so Peter is saying, above all else, recognize you're living in the last days. You're running out of tomorrows, therefore have fervent love for one another. So here's an interesting thing. Do a word study on the word fervent. You find that it means to love deep. Okay, I told you, I said, you know, whenever I think of a word, a song comes to it. Now I think now the Bee Gees. How deep is your, no, what is that? Deep is your love. You guys remember the Bee Gees? John, can you hit that note? Okay, all right, I was checking to see. But the word fervent, it means strenuously, okay? And you got to picture this. There's two things that came to mind you know, in, this, in this understanding, you know, in Greek language. First, it was a, a horse that was at full gallop. And there's something poetic about that, isn't it? It's like poetry in motion when a horse is at full gallop and you see the, the muscles of the horse, it's snorting and it's doing what? It's straining forward, right? It's like it's trying to go faster and faster. The second picture is one of an athlete who's coming to the tape. And they're leaning into the tape. They're straining, going for the gold. And what Peter's reminded us, when you love, love as if you were going for the gold. Love as if, you know, it was about winning. And, and again, you don't want to come in second place, right? It's that, you know, it's like get that competitive in, the, in a positive way spirit. You know, when you love people, don't hold back. Give it everything you've got. My dad would tell me, Mike, I don't care if you, you know, if you win and you go 50% of your effort, he goes, won't mean anything to me. He goes, if you come in last place, but you give 100%, if you strain, you know, if you're fervent, he goes, your dad will always be proud of you. All I ask you to do is just give it your best. And you know what? That's what your heavenly father's saying to, through the apostle Peter. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers a multitude of sin. Now, again, as I just told you, you know, from Matthew 26, the love of many will wax cold. You're going to find, and we see it every day, uh, as people's love goes colder and colder, not just outside the church, but insert, inside the church as well, is what people want to do. They're just trying to dig up dirt on, on somebody else, trying to always uncover the things of our life. But the Bible says, but love covers a multitude of sin. So when you think about, you know, when people sin against you, do you find yourself looking for ways to, you know, cover their sin? You say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, as Jesus has said for me and for you. Or do you seek to uncover it and to expose it, to get back, to get even? It says a lot about, you know, our love. Verse 9, it says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. You know, fervent love isn't just about, you know, covering sin. It's also being hospitable without complaining. I love this. You know, we're thinking about Thanksgiving coming up. Hospitality in the Greek language means to love the stranger. It's where we get our English word hospital. See, the early church didn't have hospitals. All they had was homes. They met in homes. They didn't have a church. And so they practiced hospitality by what? Inviting people in. You know, the parable of the Good Samaritan, doing what? Reaching out to a stranger and having taken him to an inn and caring for them and paying for that to make sure that their needs were met. And so here's Peter saying, love the stranger, take them in and help them recover. And like I said, all the things, you know, that I love about the church, you know, is especially during these times. And, and, and I know many of you that are here today, you have been so appreciative of the fact that we have remained open because you found yourself, and we did this. Remember, we, we shut down. We, we got on board with this. And then we didn't say, hey, you can start coming back to church. All of a sudden, people just started coming back to church, you know, every week, more and more people. And you would ask them, the answer would be the same. They go, I couldn't stay away. I need the fellowship. I was going stir crazy just being by myself. And you realize you weren't created for isolation. That's hell. We were created for community. We were created for unity. And that's one of the great blessings that we have as the organized church. So even when people say, oh, we can just do this at home, you cannot have true church at home. Now, you can have it in your home, but you can't have it at home. We were created to be together, not forsaking the gathering of the saints. And it's going to become more and more common because why? Because it's convenient. And many in America will serve God at the altar of convenience, not the altar of sacrifice. 
And Peter's talking about sacrifice here, to have fervent love. So the question is, how fervent is your love? Grumbling there in verse 9. You think of that word grumbling in the Greek language. you got to say this with me. Con, gu, sum. Kangusum. Doesn't it sound, it's murmuring, it's murmuring. Say that in your, let's say, it's cool just to say it. It's like under your breath, you can say, kangusum, kangusum, kangusum. You know, sounds Chinese or Oriental, but you know, kangusum, kangusum. Just mumbling. And you know, and do you think Peter could relate to this? I do. Remember, remember when, I, when Jesus told Peter to go down to the, 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 the Sea of Galilee and throw in his line and the first fish that he would catch, he would get the, the temple tax, right? Can you imagine Peter going down to the, to the Sea of Galilee. What do you think he was doing? <gasps> it's going to be so exciting. I'm going to throw my line in. And, and the first, you know, I think Peter's going down and goes, uh, Jesus, yeah, sure. With a line in, that's going to come up. And, you know, uh, you know, can you picture that? Yeah. And all of a sudden it happens. You go, whoops. <laughs> you know, Lee and I, we were watching a, a television series last night. Um, and it was about athletes and, and, and actors and actresses in Hollywood. It was really interesting. And it was just telling kind of their life story and how they rose from where they were. And there's one actor in particular who grew up in San Diego. And he would drive all the way to Los Angeles, even as a child, um, to do stand-up and improv type of stuff and to, you know, to get noticed. And it was just the sacrifices that he would make. And he was talking about this one nightclub where he wasn't even of legal age to be at the nightclub. So they would keep him in the kitchen and they'd wait for his act to come on. Then they would send him out because they served alcohol there and he wasn't even old enough to be in the establishment. So he goes out and uh, they said, it was just amazing. They said, you know, here's this, you know, off color, you know, humor. And here's this kid that's coming up and he's clean. He's just telling funny stuff. And they said, it just, you know, it won over, you know, someone who was in the Hollywood producer who actually was in the audience just so happens and saw it and the rest was history. <laughs> but he said something that it was so funny thinking about grumbling and about people that, that complain. And, you know, we can all be so guilty of that. But I had, I, I, well, I can't tell you what happened, but um, let me just say, I just laughed really hard. Okay. And he said this, and this, this, this is one of those quotable statements that he said, why is it in his, in his monologue, in his, his uh, nightclub act, this kid, he says, why is it that people with bad breath speak the longest? <laughs> I just, I mean, I don't know about you. I, I just go, because you ever been in a, like, you're in like somebody's face and they're like, and you're just dying and you're going, and you're praying. I mean, you're, and you're literally praying. I can do, I'm just like, I'm talking and I'm praying, God, please just, please, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I mean, please just, you know. And so, you know, so I thought this, you know, next time a brother or sister starts to complain to you, just politely say to them, just say, hey, do you need a breath mint? That's just a way we can help each other, right? You'd be out in public. You, you need a breath mint? Yeah, you're doing okay. So what is Peter telling us? Be fervent in prayer, fervent in love. And then he finishes it with this. And so we'll close today in verses 10 and 11. Be fervent in serving. Fervent in serving. He says, as each one has received a gift, minister to one another as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak of the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability that God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, what does Peter remind us, you know, in closing here today? He reminds us we all have a gift, but all our gifts aren't the same, but they're all important. And when we're using our gifts, the grace of God, think about this, the grace of God becomes more colorful. See, have you ever looked at a diamond and like a prism, right? And, and how diamond reflects light, right? So it's got cuts in a diamond. So light goes in and it reflects off one another. And that's what we're called. And that's what the beauty of the body of Christ. We have different gifts. And it's us together is where people move from black and white to color. I love this expression. It was shared years ago, and it really just stuck with me. And I've talked with Muslims who would, will attest to its truth. It said this wonderful quote. It said, a Muslim, upon being saved, sees color for the very first time. 
And I thought, wow, that is so profound. And you think, well, maybe that's not necessarily only true. Can you remember about how your life was before Jesus? And it's Jesus who brought color into your world. It's kind of like watching the Wizard of Oz, right? And all of a sudden, it just, you know, follow the yellow brick road. And all of a sudden, it was like, boom. And it went, you, you just sat there and you go, oh my gosh, my life before Jesus was just bland. But my life and coming to him and being part of the body of Christ and being able to bring color. And so the question in closing, you know, if your life is on display, is God's grace evident in your life? Is your life a display of the beautiful color of God's grace in your life? Is God getting the maximum glory? And if he is, you can say today, you go, why? You go, because you are fervent in prayer and you are fervent in love, and you are fervent in spirit. If there's ever been a time in your life where you'd say, you know, Pastor Mike, I was more fervent in my love back then. The Bible tells us we're what? We're backslidden. And we need to what? We need to remember, we need to repent, and we need to redo those things over and over again. And guess what? When you do, the joy of it is that joy and that love comes back. That fervent love returns to us. Hebrews 10, I'll read this and we'll close in prayer. It says, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of the, ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much more as what? And here's the key. As you see the day approaching, that we'd be living like this is the last day of my life. And I'll tell you what, when you and I start living that way, that's when we will squeeze everything out of the day and we will enjoy it like never before. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your fervent love for us. We thank you for the fervency in which you pray for us. The word says that, Lord, you, even in this very moment, you're seated at the right hand of the Father, praying, interceding for us and serving, fervent love and serving, that, Lord, you still serve the church. We think about, as Paul would write to the church and, and then speak of the mystery of the church using a relationship between husband and wife. And he says, husband's Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, fervent in love, fervent in service. And he said, this, but it's a mystery. He said, I'm not speaking about marriage. I'm speaking about the church and God's love for the church. And Lord, today we thank you for that love. And we pray that, Lord, you would work that love deep within our lives, that, God, we would live with such an awareness of the times in which we live that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And that God, above all things, that you'd be glorified in each of our lives. Make us colorful, Lord, for the kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. And we all agreed saying amen. Amen. I'll invite you, church.